God, we believe in the name of Jesus. That's why we're here. There is no other reason, Lord, to get up, to come, to go anywhere on a Sunday morning if we do not believe in the name of Jesus. Thank you that we have this place, this place to be able to come, to share about you, to talk about what you do in our life, God. Lord, I pray blessings on this group who've made this effort today. May it truly be fruit into their lives. Holy Spirit, you are here as well as we sang earlier. Fall upon this room. We know you're here. Show your glory. Show your grace to us today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. It's always good to be back. Now, those that were here last time I spoke might remember this chair and, and even the box. Now, as a way of recap, I, I discovered this box and an old trunk in my garage as I was cleaning up earlier this summer, and it was full, full of notes and letters, little notes from junior high, letters from before that, and letters even after that in my life. And I was able to share a number of those with you as I opened our series on uh, 2 Timothy. And then at the end of my message, I gave you guys a challenge. And that challenge was to read Timothy as a letter, to read 2 Timothy as a letter. It takes on a whole new meaning when you think about it as one friend sharing with another insights, challenges, or encouragement that can be useful in their lives. So that was the challenge I gave you. And, uh, well, okay, so I took my own challenge. I, I took my own challenge. Now, I had read 2 Timothy in one sitting as a letter, but not the rest of the Apostle Paul's letters. And so for the last month, that's what I've been spending my time doing. And so I was able to read Romans, and then First and Second Corinthians, and then Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, each one of them in one sitting as a letter from Paul to Timothy, his good friend. And through doing that, I was able to see what it was that Paul was trying to accomplish in each one of those letters. Now, you may recall that I had said that all of these letters are what are called occasional letters. Uh, Paul had a very specific why he wrote each one to the people or the city that he wrote to. And so I discovered things like in Galatians, it's all about law and grace. If you read it in one sitting, law, grace, law, grace, how do I live? How do I figure this out? In Ephesians, it's about the Jews and the Gentiles who used to be opposed now coming together in one faith. And it spread throughout that letter. In Colossians, Paul is going against empty philosophies of the world, and he really attacks that. He tells the new believers there, you have been buried with Christ and raised to new life. And then in Romans, throughout, Paul goes into great detail in Romans to try and share with the early church there, this is what the new faith is all about. And he was trying to correct and show and point them in the right direction. And I learned so much more as I just sat and read these, each as a letter. In fact, here's what happened to me. As I read over 60 pages in my Bible, it was over 60 pages of letters from the Apostle Paul. The first thing is Paul became my friend. Paul, the Apostle Paul, became my friend. I, I now understand better his pride and humility. 
his anger and frustration. I know now what brought him sadness and what brought him to great heights of joy. Now, it wasn't the verses I recognized as I read that surprised me. It, it, was, it was those many, many verses I don't recall ever reading before. Like, they just appeared out of nowhere. I'm like, that's in the Bible? And yet I'm sure I had read them at some point in my past, but they really amazed me as they kept popping up. I began to understand more of the times and the culture of the church and the early cities, of the earliest days of our Christianity. I began to see what those cities were all about. Another thing is I will never proof text again. Now, proof texting is when you pull out a couple verses from somewhere in the Bible to use somewhere else to prove a point. We pastors are quite guilty of this sometimes. And yet when you proof text, you're not taking into account the context. And it became so clear to me that in to understand the verse, you have to understand the context in which it was written. Now, a little disclaimer, I'm going to pull out some verses today. And... <laughs> I want to tr have you trust me that I did my homework to make sure that every verse I'm using fits in from the context of where I've taken it to where I'm going to use it today. And then the last thing is I was just really challenged. I was really challenged. And now I want to read more. I want to study each book slower this time, digging deeper, digging deeper to understand my faith even more. So if I was going to summarize my readings of the letters to Paul to the churches, I would put it this way. And I wrote it down. It's, I, I wrote this. It is obvious that all of what Paul wrote was inspired by God and was so useful to the people in each situation to learn what is true in their new faith and help them understand the difference between right and wrong. All of Paul's letters were written to prepare and equip God's people to live right and do the things that God has called them to do. Wow, did that sound familiar at all? Did that sound like scripture? Because through all the reading of Paul's letters, it occurred to me that everything that he was saying is exactly what our scripture for today is about. So let me read to you second, uh, second now I'm confused which letter, uh, second Timothy uh, 3, 14 to 17, and see if you recognize some of the stuff I just shared as I was recapping that, it says this, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I want to start out today by sharing with you from this passage what I'm calling the significance of information. The significance of information. You can take out your message notes now if you like filling in these things and uh, put all these words in there and all the scripture will be up there as well. So we are so um, bombarded with information these days. It comes at us like tidal waves washing over us, attempting to sweep us away with it, doesn't it? So how do you know what information can be relied on? Well, here are some ways. First of all, it starts with trust. It starts with trust. I looked up trust. The definition is simply reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth, keyword, 
or truth of someone or something. Now, the issue here in Timothy is that there were many people in those days who were not teaching the truth. So who should Timothy listen to? Who should Timothy believe? I counted at least six times the Apostle Paul talks about truth or trust just earlier in this letter alone. And and it's no different in our world today, is it? We have so much information coming to us. So who and who and what do we begin to place our trust? Last week, Kim mentioned that her passage in one version started out with you, however. She said she wanted to be a you, however. This passage starts out with but you, but you. So who is Paul comparing Timothy to in this section of Scripture? Now, you may recognize these names from some of the messages given here in the last few weeks. Check these out. Phagelus, Hermogenes, Hymenaeus, Philetus, Alexander the coppersmith, Demas, and Jans and Jambres. One of the things I discovered in reading 2 Timothy in one sitting, and I'd never caught this before, is that Paul actually mentions eight people, eight people who have abandoned him. They've opposed the faith. They were teaching false doctrine, or they did Paul harm in some way. That's crazy that those eight people were mentioned like that. And he warns Timothy in chapter 3, verse 5. He says, stay away from people like that. Paul is saying to Timothy here, you know about these people who've opposed the truth, so you, you, however, but you must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. But it's still information, and significance of information starts with trust, but it comes, secondly, it comes from our teachers. It comes from teachers. Paul goes on to tell Timothy, you know they are true for you, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You know you can trust those who taught you. For Timothy, we know that it was his mother and his grandmother that he trusted to teach him about God. And then later on in Timothy's life, it was Paul who became his mentor. So who taught you? Who taught you the truths of the Bible? Have you had the opportunity to have mentors, Sunday school teachers, pastors, parents, or grandparents that all taught you about Jesus? For me, it started uh, with the nuns in my Catholic upbringing. Now, I must admit, there were times I was a little intimidated, okay, scared as a kid of the the black robes and the potentially knuckle-wrapping discipline that they would shell out. But I learned my Bible stories from them. And later on, then, it became a guy named Pete the Greek. Pete the Greek. Pete was about five foot nothing, And he would show up on my high school, public high school campus with his long hair, balled up on top, and big beard, and he would invite me to Bible studies. And I would go. Nowadays, looking like that, he'd never even get on a high school campus. (laughs) And then after that, I was thinking through, and I had pastors and professors from church and the Bible college who helped me shape my faith. Now the exciting thing for me is I've been able, I get to be that person to so many young people around me as well. The significance of information, it starts with trust, it comes from teachers, and it happens over time. It happens over time. It says Timothy's biblical education started from childhood in 316, from childhood. 
Our learning and applying of biblical principles, it isn't a sprint. It is a marathon from birth and beyond. There's always so much more we can learn. Now, by a show of hands, how many of you here, the first Sunday you were alive, the first Sunday you existed, you were in church? Raise your hand. Come on, higher. Wow. That's amazing. Praise God for that. For the rest of us, it happened at other points, right? Different points in our lives where we found Jesus or found ourselves in our church and, and our biblical ed- education went on from there. But the, it, it never ends. Our quest to understand our faith is something that never ends. And that's kind of exciting, actually. Now, the word, there's the word holy scriptures in verse 15 and then all scripture in verse 16. And that refers, first of all, to the Old Testament, because that is what they would have been taught from childhood. They don't have what we had, so they would have been taught the Old Testament, the Holy Scriptures. But now we can look at that phrase, all Scripture, for us, and we know that that means everything God has provided us through the New Testament as well. Now, as I read all of Paul's letters, he forced me, Paul forced me to reflect on the whole Bible. He caused me to think about the whole Bible. He quotes so many times in his letters from the Old Testament. He refers to Moses and Abraham and many others. The Bible, I realized, is one giant love letter from God. God gave us the Old Testament, the understanding of law and sin, and then it follows into the New Testament, and it's the good news about grace, about Jesus Christ coming, his birth, his death, and his resurrection that can save us from our sins. One giant love letter from God. And talk about information that happens over time. The Bible was written over a period of 1,600 years, and we've been studying it ever since, trying to figure it out. So the significance of information, it starts with trust, it comes from teachers, it happens over, over time, and finally it can lead to transformation. It can lead to transformation. Verse 15 shows us the point of Scripture when it says, they, meaning the the people who have given you the word, they have given you the wisdom, the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. We've been given Scripture, we've been given this to understand our faith, which leads to receiving salvation. By trusting in Christ Jesus. That is the point of Scripture. The Bible is all about transforming lives. It's about altering our life, changing our ways. It's about renovating our beliefs and ultimately converting to a new way of living for us. Well, to make my, that point more clear, I want to explain my second main point. The first one is the significance of information, the second one is the power of inspiration. The power of inspiration. So information is significant, but the Bible is so much more than just information. I'm going to give you two ways that we, or just people in general, attempt to view the Bible. The first one is the Bible as literature. The Bible, when you look at it like it's literature, and if you're going to do that, then you're reading it to learn about religion or just to become familiar maybe with biblical stories. Let me read to you some Bible statistics. Over 6 billion Bibles have been sold. Over 1 million Bibles are sold or given away every year. Annual Bible sales in America are worth between $425 and $650 million. Gideon International 
gives away a Bible every second. The Bible is available all or in part of 2,426 languages, covering 95% of the world's population. The Bible is the best-selling book every year. Amen. Let me go on. Here's a bunch more. Check this out. There are devotional Bibles for new believers, couples, men and women, teenagers, cowboys, and surfers. <laughs> At an annual trade show of the Christian Booksellers Association in Denver, they introduced such innovations as the Outdoor Bible, printed on indestructible plastic sheets that fold up like a map, and the Story, which features selections from the Bible arranged in chronological order like a novel. There is a Men of Integrity Bible and a Woman Thou Art Loosed Bible. For kids, there's the Superheroes Bible, the quest for good over evil. The Soul Surfer Bible has notes from Bethany Hamilton, who lost an arm to a shark in 2003. The 252 Boys Bible, the ultimate manual, promises gross and gory Bible stuff. <laughs> in the Rainbow Study Bible, each verse is color-coded by theme. The Promise Bible prints every one of God's promises in boldface. And the Personal Promise Bible, this one's my favorite. The Personal Promise Bible is custom printed with the owner's name included in the scripture. For example, the Lord is Fritz's shepherd. <laughs> and your hometown. Woe to you, Grass Valley. Woe to you, Nevada City. I did a quick count at our house, just a quick count, didn't even dig deep. I found 18 Bibles with at least 10 different translations, including all the regulars, plus things like this. Here's my daughter's first teenage Bible, cute zipper, little Levi pocket on there. I have one in Spanish and I have one in Portuguese. Got to make sure I have the Bible in every language I attempt to speak at times. Years ago, everybody had to buy The Message. And so it's sort of a flowery version of our Bible. And it, it, I, there's times I love to read the message. And then I go, what does the real Bible say now? You know, it always causes me to go back and read that one. Oh, this one, I think this was my wife's, not mine. The Greek New Testament. It's all Greek to me. If you go way back, and I know many of you do, J.B. Phillips. Uh-huh, remember J.B. Phillips? That was one of the early sort of modern English ones. And then, of course, I'm a grandparent, so of course we've got the teddy bear Bible that is complete as a fluffy, soft teddy bear, and inside has different stories from the Bible. So many Bibles in our house. But here's the thing. None of that matters. None of it matters if we're just trying to find good literature. If we just want to read for knowledge's sake, it doesn't matter. It only matters if we consider the second view of the Bible. And that is the Bible as the inspired word of God. The Bible as the inspired word of God. It's only when we recognize the Bible is inspired that it can create a powerful change or transformation in people. Check out this quote I ran across when I was studying. It says this, The mere reading of Scripture is ineffective in securing salvation unless faith is in operation. Faith centered entirely in Christ. Timothy is being reminded by Paul that the basis of the scripture, Scripture's profitableness, or he uses the word usefulness in verse 16, it lies in its inspired character. 
When it's inspired, then it allows us to believe. It allows us to truly put our faith in the reality and the reliability of God's word given to us. Inspired in the Greek, I could have looked it up right there, but I just used another book to tell me, is the word theonoustos. Theonoustos. Which literally the N and the New International Version has it as God breathed. The Bible is God breathed. Inspired refers to the fact that God divinely influenced the human authors of the scriptures in such a way that what they wrote were the very words of God. Another commentary said it was the very breath of God. Wow. When we pick up our Bible to read, we are reading the breath of God exhaling out to us. Well, now, even if you're sitting here today and you don't believe, you don't believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, I want to give you three reasons why you could begin to consider it that way. The first is that the Bible is historical. The Bible has stood the test of time, right? We know that the people, the names, the places spoke of in the Bible, they're real. They're real. You may doubt the nature of some of the events, but over and over again, archaeologists and historians are proving when and how things took place in Bible times. At William Jessup University, every summer we send uh, this one particular professor and a team of students to Israel to work on a dig. They work on a dig in the heat of summer, down in a hole for three weeks. And every year, our students continue to find amazing pottery, scarabs, other ancient discoveries that through time continue to piece together our Bible history. I asked Professor Catherine uh, Cynthia Schaefer-Elliott for one example. And here's what she, uh, this is just, um, just listen to this. It says, in the Old Testament, we hear this phrase, Israel, a land flowing with what? Milk and honey. But until recently, most biblical scholars and archaeologists thought that the honey referred to the, in the Old Testament wasn't honey from bees, but a syrup made from dates or figs. The reason they thought this is because there was no proof of beekeeping in Israel other than these passages in the Old Testament. In 2005, at our summer excavation at Tel Rehav, an Old Testament site in the Jordan Valley, about one half hour south of the Sea of Galilee, we proved that there was indeed beekeeping in ancient Israel. That summer, 30 intact beehives were found. Two years later, in 2007, the remains of 100 to 200 more beehives were found. The beehives, made of straw and unbaked clay, were found in orderly rows of 100 hives. The hives were dated to the mid-10th century to early 9th century BC. The beehives were evidence of advanced honey-producing beekeeping, and that, indeed, Israel was a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the passage in Deuteronomy says. Isn't that amazing? I spent an hour online as I was going through this just trying to find a simple illustration, which I eventually got from her, and it, I was just amazed. I was stunned by how many things. It was hard to, to, to get them as concise as what Cynthia gave me. But there's so much that is still being pieced together. It's just fascinating. Now, there was another relic found recently, and I don't think it's going to help with the Bible's history, but I still find it intriguing. I don't know what it means. It's a, clearly a painted rock of some significance. I 
you don't know that's a minion, you need to get out more. <laughs> Another reason to consider the Bible as the inspired word of God is that it is reliable. It's reliable. With our world changing at such a rapid pace, there's very little we can rely on to stay the same. The Bible is the unchanging word of God. As I mentioned earlier, the Bible was written over a 1,600-year time period. Over 40 authors contributed to it in three languages from three different continents. Yet it is unified from beginning to end with the same message of salvation. The very same words and concepts that the early Christians had, we also have today. That is reliable. And the third thing is it's relatable. It's relatable. People ask, how can something written thousands of years ago still apply? I mean, look at a phone manual from two years ago. It's outdated, as anyone would actually read a phone manual. But it's outdated. But when Scripture says, love one another, that is more relevant today than it's ever, ever been. Now, we as believers, we get this, right? We trust our Bibles. We've grown up believing that that is truth. But, but I do have a warning for all of us as well. Sometimes, sometimes we try to, to add to the inspiration of the Bible. We try to morph it a little bit to help us fit our culture or our lives. And we can do great harm when we do that. I mean, the world thinks of us a certain way, and, and we want to... I want to help the Bible fit in there at times. So I want to quickly give you some unreliable ways we try to make Scripture work for us. The first one is we try and change it to fit into our culture. We try and change it, the Word of God, to fit into our culture. We don't want to stand out too much with our faith. I mean, a little bit's okay. So we'll adjust. We, we, we want to make it a little more contemporary. Maybe easier to swallow for the masses, so to speak. So we try to change it to fit our culture some. The second one is we buy into traditions. Traditions of the church, sometimes more than what God's word actually says. And, and you who've grown up in the church, you understand this. There, there just comes this time where policies and procedures kind of become the law around the church instead of growing straight to the scriptures for the answers that we need. And a third one is occasionally we go with our feelings. Mm, occasionally. We go with our feelings instead of believing straight up the truth in the Bible. Now, you know, I, sometimes truth hurts, and no one wants to hurt. So we decide that our feelings are more important than the truth of the written word. It, it makes sense. Why would God want us to hurt? And if this scripture makes me hurt, and God is a God of love, and we get that all tangled in together, and we begin to run with our feelings. But sometimes the greatest growth periods in lives follow intense phases of soul-searching and times of pain. And there are many verses in Scripture. Here's where I'm pulling out those verses, but I checked the context. There's many Scriptures and verse that warn us to things like not follow the crowd in Exodus or from Mark, the book of Mark, to ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. And Pastor Ron mentioned a few weeks back from Judges to do what you think is right in your own eyes. 
Those are unreliable ways to kind of fit the scripture in or fit the Bible in. And all of those are ways when we approach scripture like that, I believe they just dilute it. They take our eyes off the fact that we believe that the Bible is God's inspired word, the very breath of God for us as it's written and given to us. It's inspired. Now, I'll admit Believing the Bible is the inspired word of God, the very, the very breath of God, it, it can be difficult at times. But I think it goes right back to my first point about trust. There simply comes a point after doing the research, after asking enough questions, after looking and observing other believers and the way that they live, that a person simply needs to let go to let go of trying to have every question answered about faith and just begin to trust. Let go and begin to trust. To open your heart and mind and let God in. Just see what he can do in you. You cannot know the power of inspiration until you let go and trust that the Bible is God's living and powerful words to us about life and salvation. Now, when you can do that, for those that have been able to do that, then the scripture goes on and it says that we can find the Bible's usefulness, which is the word they use in verse 16. The Bible's usefulness comes to us in four ways. And I want to read, actually, the New International Version. I love the way it says here. It says this, 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Four things, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. So, simply put, it looks like this. The Bible is for teaching. Uh, let's call that the path to walk on in life. The Bible is, is for showing us the path to walk on in life. And each of us need that truth spoken into our lives by those mentors, pastors, and teachers, and others that show us this path to walk. It's for teaching. Secondly, the Bible is for rebuking. Call that how I got off the path. How I got off the path. Those same people, because we trust them, have the power, and, and, and I just chose a word, I used the word scold, they have the power to scold us. Well, the Bible puts it this way, uh, to speak truth in love into our lives. When we're off the path, people get to speak truth into our lives. Another verse from Proverbs is, as iron sharpens iron, so one man, so one person sharpens another. And we need to be rebuked sometimes. And when that happens, then there's correcting. The Bible is for correcting. How I get back on the path. How I get back on the path. Once we realize we've wandered from the path, we need not just people, but the power of God to help us get back on that path. Now, I had the opportunity this summer to speak at two week-long camps for teenagers. It's a crazy thing. I don't know why they asked this old man to do it, but they do. And I love, love, love being with teenagers. And in each camp, this one was about 80, uh, 8th and ninth graders, so, you know, 13, 14-year-old kids. And at each camp I speak at, I always make sure there's a commitment night, a commitment night. This is the most important part about camp because it's the night to take a stand. It's the night to take a stand for something. For some at camp, 
they decide to commit to follow Jesus for the very first time. It's always an incredible and joyous time. But the biggest group every year, the biggest group that stands up at this night is for what's just called the rededication to following Christ. Rededication to following Christ. Now, most of them, at that, if they're recommitting, have made a commitment at some point. They got on the road. They were walking on the path with Jesus. But somewhere along the line, and you guys are familiar with this, they got off the path. And here they are wandering around doing something else in their little world, not following Jesus. And so this is their chance for correction. This is their chance to correct something in their life, to admit it, and then to get back on that path. At this camp, a picture that you're looking at up there, about a third of the students had found themselves wandering and stood to recommit their life to go home a different person and follow Jesus in a better way. Amazing. I always love that. And then a fourth thing the Bible is used for, it says in that one verse, 316, is training. How I stay on the path. Training. How I stay on the path. Life is not easy. Walking with Christ can be a struggle. So how, how do we stay on the path that we've chosen? This can come through accountability with other believers. We have an amazing opportunity, as Mark mentioned, about being part of community groups, which can help you stay on this path. Sometimes we need professional counseling. People we can sit face to face with every week and just talk about and work through things in life. And of course, we can stay on the path, and that's what I'm talking about today, by spending time in God's Word. So we must read Scripture, not once, not twice, but over and over and over again. With each new phase of life, with every new difficulty, we dive into the Scripture again because it will bring up different, new, or richer meanings because of the situation you're in. We need to read it over and over. Then we can know without a doubt then the path that God has for us and how we can stay on it. Hmm. I shared with you today the significance of information and the power of inspiration. Finally, let me share with you my third main point. It is the blessing of application. The blessing of application. I want to read 317 for you again. It says this. God uses it the Bible, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. To do every good work. Now, earlier I said the point of Scripture was to bring us to salvation, according to verse 15, but here I think we see the purpose, the purpose of Scripture. The purpose of the written word that we have is to prepare and equip us, God's people, to do good work in the world. Again, information is not enough. That won't just do anything. You've got to go beyond that. Information should lead to transformation, which then should bring out application in our lives. Our faith is to be lived out, not just set as a side core beliefs that do nothing. Remember that old song, they all know we are Christians by our love? Guess what? It's true. It's true. The world will know that we believe in Jesus when we go out, apply what we've learned, and do good things in the world. They need to see in a tangible way the fruit of our belief. And according to this verse, it's the Bible. It's the Bible that God uses to help us to be prepared, to be equipped, to go and do these good things. 
Let's recall Apostle Paul's mission from verse 1. In verse 1, he says he was sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through Christ Jesus. And when I preached on that first Sunday, I said, this is our mission as well. And it is, and it can be accomplished not just by our words, but by our acts of mercy in our world. And let's face it, our world is full, 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 and overflowing with hurting people. Many of us and so many others beyond us. And we need to let the Bible be our living word of God, the living word of God. As you represent Jesus in the world around you by your goodness, your generosity, and your sacrificial acts of kindness. To wrap it up, I, I, I wanted to share one more story. And I, and I was thinking, 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 and I wanted the story to talk about the power of the Bible, the power of the inspiration of the Bible. And it came to me, uh, because when I was cleaning up the garage this summer and I was doing the trunk and everything else, I cleaned files, file cabinets. I think it was three weeks of putting recycling in before I got done with all the trash of files I'd thrown out there. But I found so many things when I was cleaning out files. One of them is an article. It's a copy of an article. And I want to read this article for you. Seven suspects have been arrested and $70,000 worth of cocaine and more than 13000 in cash have been seized in the culmination of a month-long narcotics investigation, a Santa Clara police spokesman said. Police Lieutenant Wayne Britt said the department's Specialized Crime Action Team, or SCAT, served a search warrant Thursday night at this address in San Jose. Ten ounces of cocaine and 6400 in cash were confiscated. He said four suspects were arrested on suspicion of cocaine possession and possession for sale. They were identified as John Constantine Samoy, 24, Ted Benyon Watkins, 25. <laughs> Terrible at this stuff. And Joan Ellen Moga, 25. My little sister went to jail. Now, Joni had given her life to Christ early in her life, and she was sharing with me, we were talking about this recently, she was, when she was younger, she said she didn't know how to change. Uh, she gave her life to Jesus, she didn't, she didn't know at that point how to give her actions to Jesus, and so she wandered far off the path. But she had this powerful experience that I knew about, and, and I'd never, we'd never really talked about it. She had a powerful experience her night in jail, and I had her write it up. So I'll do my best to get through this. Let me take a few deep breaths. And here's what she wrote to me just this last week. January 31st, 1986, I was lying on a top bunk in a county jail, women's facility, <laughs> barracks type. I don't remember how large, but a big room with a high school-like bathroom with showers and et cetera in one corner. Another room was off to the side with two doors. I was determined to stay where I was, not have to speak to anyone or look anyone in the eye, and I would wait for someone to come and save me from this nightmare. I heard women laughing, talking, watching TV. I remember thinking, if there's a TV, there's a bookcase. If there's a bookcase, there's a Bible. 
So I got up and made my way to the room on the side, carefully walking between the TV and the women watching. I spotted a small bookcase, and I didn't have to look for, but for a moment to find a Bible. I grabbed it and walked back to my bunk. I prayed, God, show me what you want me to see. Speak to me. Save me. Let me know you are here. And then I opened it. This is where the page fell open. This. <laughs> this is what he spoke to me. Luke 15. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has, uh, has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And then my sister goes on. In that moment, the word of God became more than words, more than history. In that moment, the word of God became real to me. It became life. I knew he had heard me. He saw me. He would come for me, and he would save me. I never looked at the word the same again. You know, it wasn't biblical information that Joni was searching for or that Joni needed at that moment. It was the powerful, life-changing inspiration of the Bible that she wanted to make her into that new person in Christ that she truly wanted to believe. And she's been living for Jesus ever since. Love you, sis. She'll watch it later. <laughs> you know, I'm sure uh, I've never sat in a jail cell like that, but I'm sure many old hymns or songs could have come into her mind to help her through that dark night in jail. I'm actually going to have us sing a simple song, a children's song, to remind us of what the Bible is all about. Would you sing it with me? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is. Sing it out now, ready? Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Praise God for his living word. May it be able to change us all as we read it consistently, wait on God, and apply it to our lives. Let me pray. God, thank you for your power. Lord, I know that I wander from the path. I'm a wanderer, and not in the good sense. Help me to believe like I've shared today and may the people here believe as well that your word is inspired, that it is powerful to change. God, I pray right now that anyone in here who needs to get back on the path, anyone in here who needs to recommit to you does it right now. 
that they would pray, that they would open their lives and they would say, Jesus, come in, save me, show me the path. For those who've never done that, Lord, may they do it as well. May they just trust, let go of having everything answered and just trust that you've given us something special that can change and transform our lives. Lord, I pray that anyone today who has made a decision that they would communicate that with someone, that they would write it on a card, that they would send it to a friend, that they would have a conversation, that they would tell that person who's been praying for them for years or decades, today, today was the day I decided to follow Jesus. Lord, we cannot thank you enough for your power through your Holy Spirit that brings us life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.